Welcome again to RUF. It's good to be with you tonight. Uh, this is the second week of the semester, which means that if you can make it through seven more of what you've already made it through, then you're going to make it this semester. Isn't that great? Are you encouraged to hear that? Can you do it? Not a lot of enthusiasm about that. Um, well, um, RUF is about, RUF is a community, we say that a lot, uh, RUF is a community where our goal is to learn to love, and we believe that uh, love ultimately comes from God, and we believe that God is found in his word, and so we look at the Bible each week, and we look at the Bible and Bible studies uh, other times throughout the week, and um, we see it as the uh, source of life, God revealing himself to us. Uh, so that we can know him. And so this semester we're doing something kind of unique. We're studying the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And um, last week we looked at the creation account. And this is, uh, what we'll look at tonight is a continuation of the creation account. And uh, just as a reminder, uh, at the end of last semester we started doing these discussion questions. At the end uh, of our time together for like five minutes or so, and so we'll continue to do those. We've been getting good feedback about them, but uh, I would encourage you uh, to engage those. You know, engaging and kind of thinking and applying God's word is the way to ultimately have it sink down in your heart. So I encourage you to really invest in those times, however <coughs> brief they are, and uh, maybe get in a group of someone you don't know. Uh, but. With that said, I'm going to all read our text for tonight, and uh, we'll spend some time examining the, what it means to be human together tonight. So uh, I'm going to read the whole of Genesis chapter 2, another kind of long passage for us tonight. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land and there was no man to work the ground and a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground then the Lord God formed the man from dust, of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of that land is good. Delium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria, and the fourth river is the Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. 
Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we come to this chapter in your word, uh, we need your guidance. We need your spirit to apply it to our hearts and make us different. And uh, so we pray that you would do that. We pray that you'd be here among us at work in our hearts. And we pray that you be glorified in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So uh, it's crunch time for the Dorado family. Seven weeks until due date. And so we got like babies on the brain and stuff. And uh, we've kind of been in like baby mode ever since we had Margot because she's only two and a half. And I'm a big documentary fan as well, and so Netflix has all these like baby documentaries and stuff like that, and there's this one by National Geographic called The Science of Babies, and it's like really interesting, just like if you're interested in any, you know, like human life at all, or biology, and uh, one of the really interesting things that they show in this documentary about babies is that babies have the instinct to walk from like the first minute that they're born. And that you can actually like stand a newborn baby, like hold it on above a table, and it will make these walking motions. But one of the what's really makes that more interesting is that at the age of six weeks, if you do the same thing, they can't. They don't have the ability to do it anymore. And the reason for that is that babies grow so quickly in the first six weeks of their lives that their leg muscles can't keep up with the rest, like the growth of their head and their torso. And so they can't walk. You know, a six-week-old baby is like less advanced than a like one-hour-old baby in terms of walking. And it, but what that shows us is that humans are meant to walk, right? Like from day one, from hour one, humans are meant to walk. And the reason we're studying the book of Genesis this semester, and what we're seeing in Genesis is that the way to make sense of our lives and our world and who we are is to go all the way back to the beginning. And, you know, we say things like that a lot, right? Like we say, like, I lost my cell phone. Like, okay, let's start from the beginning. Like, where did I last see it? Or... You know, people right now are saying, like, Donald Trump is our president. Like, how did this happen? Well, let's, like, go back and see. Uh, So we're always in life doing this kind of thing to figure out what's true. We're saying, let's go back to the beginning. And so we're studying the Bible's account of the beginning. And the Bible's account tells us that we are like those babies that have lost their ability to walk. And so we're looking at Genesis 2 tonight. If you come back next week, you really sh- next week is a really important week. Genesis 3, it's the saddest, it's the darkest, uh, yet also the most hopeful chapter in the whole Bible. Maybe the most important chapter in the Bible, the story of Adam and Eve eating that forbidden fruit that's mentioned in this chapter tonight. 
And chapter three is what explains why our world is very, very sad, right? It explains uh, all the reasons that life can be sad and miserable, uh, all, all the ways that sin affects life in our world. Um, and, you know, whereas, you know, think about that baby, like the reason the baby can't walk anymore is because it's, it's grown too fast. Uh, the explanation for life being sad in our world is in Genesis 3. We're going to look at that next week. But if Genesis 3 is about losing the ability to walk, then what we're looking at tonight in Genesis 2, it tells us what walking is. It tells us what walking is like. It tells us what life was meant to be like, what God created the world to be, what we were created for. Um, what were we put in the world to do? And when we know the answer to that question, our lives begin to make sense. And our sadness and our disappointments actually start to make a little more sense as well. And we can actually begin then to experience life as it was meant to be and begin to do the things we were made for. And so this is, you know, it's kind of like a zoom in on day six of creation. And it's looking at the question, what were we made for? And what we're going to see is that we were made for two things primarily, work and relationships. And this passage kind of zoom, hones in on the closest relationship, which is marriage. And so we're going to look at those three ideas, work, relationships, and marriage, and what we can learn about those. And so the first is work. What do we learn about work? The first thing we learn is that it's good. Work is good. God intended it. And we know that because God's a worker. Like he's, It shows him doing work. And we tend to think of work in our world as like this necessary evil. And our goal is to like make enough money so that we don't ever have to work. And, but this says that work is good. And God places the man in the garden so he can work. And, you know, this is before chapter 3 where everything got sad. So before things were sad, like, there was work to do, and it was good, which makes sense why we get depressed when we run out of work, right? Like, when I was in college, and I'm sure a lot of you have experienced this, like, in exam week, you're like, I cannot wait till the moment where I can just, like, plop on my bed and do nothing for, like, three days straight. I'm just going to do nothing. But then when you do that, like day four, you start to get a little depressed, right? Because you're like, I actually do need like something to do. And Genesis 2 is why. Because we were made for work. Uh, so work is good. Uh, also, all work has dignity. Uh, we see a God who plants a garden. And we see a God getting his hands dirty to make man. Uh, the work that Adam's doing is manual labor in the garden. Plus, there's also thinking labor, like naming animals and what it's trying to convey is that no matter what society may tell you about like which work has more value uh, God sees enormous value in all kinds of work whether you're building a house or digging a hole or curing cancer or a lawyer or teacher or anything else uh, all work has dignity and all work ultimately is a way of partnering with God and this is a really like work will seem lame to you unless you see that Work is a way of partnering with God. Um, in verse 15, we see God putting the man in the garden to work it. He's like, you know, I created this, now you work it. You are my partner. Um, we last, last week, we looked a little bit at this idea of the image of God and how God sets man as like his represent, like, I'm the king, you guys are all my like little kings and queens of my kingdom. Uh, I want you to care for it. Uh, God loves the world that he makes, and so he loves the work that supports it, right? Teaching, 
being an art. God loves art because art is beautiful. God loves teaching because he loves knowledge because he created everything. God loves doctors because doctors help people. You know, anyone who helps people, anyone who builds and develops the world, it's all good. It's all part of what God loves. Uh, at the same time, the work is not everything. Uh, work is one of several kind of aspects of what it means to reflect God. And, and we see, most importantly, that work is not everything because God who doesn't get tired, still rests. God, on the seventh day, rests. Uh, not because he needed to, but because work is not everything. And, you know, just I'll just say, like, we're all terrible at resting. When we get time to rest, we don't do it well. And uh, but you need to know that you were created to rest. You were created <coughs> to both work and rest. And, and God gives us the freedom to rest. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, this semester. But... As you think about your work, as you think about your time in school, I hope you'll keep this picture of work in mind. And I hope you'll ask the, the question, like, what am I good at? And what's kind of possible for me? And, like, what are, how, does, how do those things match up with what God loves? And I hope that's the way you'll think about what you study, what you work at. So that's work. Second thing we were made for is, is relationships. We were made to work, and we were made to relate. And we see that in verse 18 there, which is on the next slide, I think, Victoria. Thanks. Um, in verse 18, God says, it's not good for the man to be alone. He's created Adam, and he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. And this is, remember, they're in paradise, right? The Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. And Adam has God, and God says, you know what? That's not good enough. And so he makes Eve. Um, you know, there's this idea that we have as Christians, which is not fully true, which is like, you know, my relationship with God is about me and him. And that's great. I don't want to knock that too much. You know, like God is a relationship and we're made to relate to him and he makes us in his image. But this is saying that Adam needed someone with him there besides God in the garden before everything in the world got sad. He needed more. Uh, what that means is we're properly reflecting God to the world when we're in relationship with each other, not in isolation. Uh, the way I like to think about this is the idea of going to the beach. Who likes going to the beach? Everyone likes going to the beach, right? Uh, but when I say going to the beach, you probably never think about going to the beach alone, right? Like, when I say going to the beach, what you think of is, like, standing in the waves with friends, jumping, right? Because if you do that all by yourself, it's, like, the lamest thing in the world, right? But there's something about, like, when people are there, everyone just kind of stands there, and it's, like, so fun, right? Or, like, laying on a towel alone on a deserted beach is lame, but, like, if you've got a bunch of towels with friends, it's, like, the best thing on the planet, right? That's what our world is like. Our world is like the beach, uh, it was never meant to be, you know, it's just me and God. We're cool. We're great. Although, you know, God is obviously wonderful and the king, and we love God. Uh, but this is why RUF exists. This is, we were called Reformed University Fellowship and not like a Reformed University Bible content, you know? <laughs> um, and what we see in this passage is that male and female are complete the image. You know, male is not the image of God and female is not the image of God, but together they image God. And so that's why we need community. 
community of males and females that were most human, in other words, in community. Um, important point, if you feel, if you are someone who gets lonely, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because something's right with you. Loneliness is the only hurt that you will feel that's not because something's wrong with you. It's because you were made. It's because you're not a tree. It's because you're a human. Um, so, you know, what this means is we need to pursue relationships, all kinds of relationships, uh, relationships, uh, most importantly, that push, push one another toward the truth and toward God. Um, so, you know, if you don't have a lot of relationships, pursue them. Uh, come to RUF events that we do. You know, we don't do events because we're bored, although they're fun if you're bored. But we do events because we believe that community is good. Like, underlying all the events we do is this premise that we were made for relationships. Uh, and I'll also say, don't separate, separate out, like, the me and God part of your life from, like, the community part of your life. We're meant to know God in community. Um, so we were made for relationship. And what we go on to see in this passage is that there's one relationship that becomes the focal point, which is the closest relationship, which is marriage, right? And what may not be immediately obvious on the first read is that Genesis 2 is actually the first marriage ceremony. Uh, what's going on here? Uh, first, God, it's kind of weird the first time you read it, right? God makes Adam search through the animals, uh, why does he do that? You know, it says like, and it says a helper suitable for him was not found. And it sounds really weird, right? Um, to show, you know, God does that to show that what Adam really needs is someone similar yet different. Someone that fits him. And so obviously no suitable helper is found. Uh, side note, if you are offended by the term helper, uh, because in our culture, when we hear uh, a helper, we think of like, oh, daddy's little helper. Isn't that cute? That's not the image of helper in this, in this passage. Like in the Bible, God is called the helper more often than anyone else. So uh, to call a woman a helper is not like, it's not to say one is less than the other. It's not to say anything derogatory. In fact, it's, you know, it's saying something like very powerful about women, which is that man cannot image God without women. Um, and so finally, God, you know, Adam looks through all the animals. No suitable helper is found. And so uh, he puts Adam to sleep and he forms woman out of the man. And he presents Eve to Adam. And Adam says, at last, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And it may not sound like it, but that's actually a vow. That is a marriage vow. If you look at, like, ancient literature from the Middle East, what you'll find is all these contracts and when people make a deal, what they would say is, you know, like me and Kayleen are investing together. Uh, she is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, which would mean like we're in this. Like we made a contract and it's sealed. And so this is the language of a vow. Um, it goes on to talk about leaving mom and dad at the end. It says, for this reason, man shall leave uh, his mother and father and, and go, and there'll be one flesh. And what that's meant to say, you know, the idea of bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh and leaving your family and going is meant to convey is that this is the closest possible relationship. Uh, this is like, you, you know, that, that wedding vow, what it means is like, I wasn't related to you before, and now I'm going to view you, like your body is my own body, my own flesh. 
And so, you know, there's this one flesh idea which is not just sexual, although sex is a part of it, uh, but it's this full union. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's encapsulated with this idea that they were naked and not ashamed. Okay, so what does this mean for us? First of all, it means that sex is good. I don't, I don't know what anyone's told you anywhere, but sex is good, and the Bible says so. Uh, God invented sex, and it's supposed to be the way that we fill and populate the earth, and it's also supposed to feel really, really good, too. And if you have the desire for sex, if you have sexual desire, again, it's not because something's wrong with you. It's because something's right with you. Sexual, sex and sexual desire are ultimately good. But it also shows, and this is really important, and I realize I'll sound like an alien in our culture by saying this, but sex is meant Uh, you know, it's in the context of vows. It's in the context of a covenant. What makes sex truly sex is is that vow. Uh, In other words, sex is meant for marriage. And I know that sounds like Amish or something to most people uh, today. I know it sounds archaic. And, you know, I know it would be easy to look at that and be like, yeah, but no one really lives that way. But I want you to think for a second. I want you to just consider it as a possibility. I want you to think about what it means to be naked and unashamed. Um, you know, when it's, you know, it's talking about both physical and like soul nakedness. You know, like being seen, uh, all of you being seen by another and not being ashamed. What would make you want to be truly naked? with someone in that sense. Um, you know, what would make you want to be truly exposed in that way is if you knew that that person wouldn't abandon you, right? Or if you knew that person wouldn't see and then like turn and run away, right? Or if, they, if you knew they wouldn't find out something about you and then leave you. And so what that means is, you know, the sexiest thing you can say to someone is not like, oh, you're so hot or you know, I want your body so bad right now. The sexiest thing, stay with me. The sexiest thing you can say to someone is, in sickness and in health, till death do we part. That is the sexiest thing you could ever say to someone. Um, sex, is, sex is ultimately like the way you act out the promise. You know, the vow, the wedding vow comes first, and then sex is a way of acting out what you've promised. And, you know, we, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, we all misuse sex in all kinds of ways, right? Like, we've all done it. There's a lot of ways that you can misuse sex, and it's like, when we misuse sex in the various ways that we do, it's kind of like eating a delicious meal and spitting it out, you know, every bite, you know, like, eating a meal and everybody you're spitting out and you know what that means is it's still amazing in some ways right like if you're eating like a world-class meal and you spit out everybody you would still have an amazing experience but it would be lacking the crucial component and the end result of it you know if you lived your life that way would be that it would hurt you and you know if you've misused sex then you've probably been hurt by sex as well I know a lot of us have felt that. Um, So what does this all mean for a room full of unmarried people? Uh, 
I'll give us a couple things and then we'll close. Uh, the first is, uh, as you date, throw away your list of like, you know, this is the kind of person I want to marry someday. Because marriage means making a vow to love someone no matter what they turn out to be like. And people change. So throw out that list of like, you know, they got to be this, this, and this. Just throw that away. Love is about being committed to a person regardless of who they become uh, or what they end up being like. Uh, secondly, as you wait, remember that marriage and sex is not everything. You know, we live in a culture that tells us, oh, you know, our music, our TV, uh, everything about our culture tells us, you know, what really is everything is sex. Ending up with someone, experiencing that experience, um, and what this, what the, you know, the, what this passage is ultimately saying is that God is the life giver. And where do we encounter God most profoundly? In community. Um, we ultimately, you know, the place where God is most profoundly experienced is in the church, which is why RUF makes a big deal about the church. And so, you know, our life is meant to be found in God and in his church long before it's meant to be found in something like a spouse or sex. Um, and finally, if you want to prepare for, if you want to be married and you want to prepare for it, Get involved in a community now. Uh, practice loving people now. Practice serving people now. Practice vulnerability with people now. Okay. So we are made for work in relationships, right? That's the message. And we've seen a picture of the closest relationship in marriage, but we've also already said that we live in a time that's where all this has been thrown off, right? We live in the post-Genesis 3 world where everything is now, like all of this stuff is twisted and sad. And, you know, we don't really experience relationships in the way that they're depicted here. And so what's the point, right? Like, does it just give us an explanation why we're sad? Is that what we're supposed to take away? Uh, that's part of it. But what we need to see is that what Genesis is about and what the Bible is about is God not giving up on this. God not refusing to give up on this picture of life, so much so that he will fix it at infinite cost to himself, which is why Jesus has come. You know, this is, restoring this is what the cross is about, to make us human again. What it's saying is like, we live in this time where we are not, where our humanness has been taken away from us, and only Jesus can make us human again. Um, but and, and, and we talked about how the Bible is a story and how the end of the story is that God comes and makes, you know, God will come again and make everything right. But what makes the gospel truly good news is that Jesus has already come and we can experience that humanness even now. Think back to the baby, right? The one-hour-old baby knows how to walk and the six-week-old baby doesn't know how to walk. Um, but what's happening is that the baby has not lost its walking instinct, right? It's just grown. And in that documentary I watched about the babies, uh, after they realize that the six-week-old baby is not, when they stand it up, doesn't walk, they put it in a tank of water, you know, to disperse the weight. And you know what happens, right? The baby starts, they hold the baby up and it starts walking just like it did before. Okay, we are the babies. And Jesus is the water. Jesus is the water that recovers what we were made for. 
Jesus is what makes us enabled to live, to live out this picture of humanity, even now. Uh, on the cross, Jesus was rejected. He was rejected by his Father who he had known from eternity so that we don't need to fear rejection anymore. The cross says that even though God knows everything about you, including how bad you are at relationships, and including how you misuse sex, although God knows all that stuff about you, you are worth dying for to him. Think about how vulnerable you might be able to be in relationships if you believed that that was true. If you're already secure in that kind of love, think how it would transform the way that you relate to people. You know, one of our biggest problems is that we care too much about what people think of us, right? And so in our relationships, we don't act like ourselves because we think we need to be this, what this person expects of me or like what they want me to be. And what the gospel does is it frees you up to just be you in relationships and be vulnerable uh, without that fear of, you know, this person might reject me. Think about how much less scared of commitments you would be if you knew that the, com- the king of the universe is this committed to you. Uh, think about how much less fear of rejection you would have if you knew that Jesus was publicly rejected and shamed, you know, naked and bleeding up there on the cross because he wanted you. That's how Jesus recovers humanness for us now. And if you have Jesus, you can begin to be more human, even now, even tonight. And so uh, I'm going to close in just praying that we would all experience some of that even now. Let's pray. Father, uh, we, you know that we don't recognize the full extent of what we've lost uh, because of our sin because of the way we've turned from you, because of the ways we run from you, uh, ultimately because we feel that shame that we've been talking about, uh, because it's hard to believe that you could love the likes of us. And so we pray that you would transform our hearts uh, to know that love and take it in. And we pray that we would experience uh, more of what it's like to be human in the way that you intended and that you'd grow our relationships with each other glorified in this community. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.